Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday, everyone. It's Friday, and you're watching The Hash and listening to The Hash, where we bring you the latest and greatest in crypto news. I'm Jen Sinassi. We got Will Foxley. Adam Bibavine and Zach Seward with us today. Zach has the top story of the day. Take it away, Zach. What's going on over at the SEC? Well, when it rains, it pours, and Gemini and Genesis have been in the news quite a bit lately, but not for this. This is new. The SEC wants to get in the act and says that the yield product that Gemini was offering by way of Genesis called Gemini Earn was an unregistered securities offering. Now, this is in keeping with past actions the SEC has taken against BlockFi and others. We're going to take a nice little look at a video that uh, the SEC tweeted out from Gary Gensler. Let's check it out. Roll the tape. Platforms that offer crypto lending need to comply nonetheless. This helps protect investors. It increases trust in our markets. Getting these platforms to comply with the securities laws will benefit investors and the crypto market. As with seatbelts and cars, we need to ensure that investor protection comes standard in the crypto market. Cool metaphor, old video. That's a rerun, I'm pretty sure, from the BlockFi settlement. So they're out there just rehashing old content for the sake of clicks over on Twitter.com. Hats off to you, content creator Gary. That's some good stuff. Anyway, this is definitely a continuation of the SEC's stance on what these yield products from centralized finance crypto companies amount to. They amount to unregistered securities offering. They're not like interest as would be dictated by a banking relationship in the normal uh, normal terms. They are a securities offering that didn't go through its due diligence in terms of getting the necessary approvals to be rolled out to customers, many of whom are resale customers in the instance of Gemini Earn. And now I mentioned all the other stuff that's going on with Gemini and Genesis, an escalating war of words between Gemini, Genesis, and Genesis parent company, Digital Currency Group, which, disclosure, is also the parent company of Coindesk. That's a whole nother thing, but we're going to talk about the SEC action as it was dropped yesterday. I'm going to put Will on the spot for this one. SEC, Gemini, Genesis, what's your take on this one? 
This is a whole new chapter in the Gemini Genesis feud. There is a lot going on here. And Zach, I kind of want to fact check you. I'm not sure if you're quite right. I I think there was a little change in the language in that video because he did call back to BlockFi and enforcement action there. But I think like 90% of that video was old. I think they just like substituted a little bit in there. So yes, hats off to Gary Gensler for reusing content. It's the cheapest way to do it. But let's talk about the Winklevi and their reaction to what happened yesterday. So we have Genesis and Gemini feuding publicly on Twitter. We have Barry Silbert and the Winklevi twins going at each other in front of everyone. It's been great and spectacular to watch unless you have funds on Gemini Earn, that is, of course. But we have a nice tweet from Tyler Winklevoss yesterday saying, quote, it's disappointing that the SEC chose to file an action today as Gemini and other creditors are working hard together to recover funds. This action does nothing to further our efforts and help Earn users get their assets back. Their behavior is totally counterproductive. He goes on in his tweet to say that the SEC did not even give notice to Gemini or Genesis before filing here. In fact, they just sent out a press release, issued some tweets, put up this cute little video, and let the wreckage start on Twitter. And that's a pretty tough place if you're in Gemini or Genesis seats, right? Like they're already dealing with very angry customers. They're already dealing with huge holes and losses in their balance sheets. And then Gary Gensler comes up from the top ropes and hits them with the steel chair. It's like, it's a very unfair and it's pretty spectacular to watch. We saw a lot of people on crypto Twitter jump into this and be like, what is up, Gary? Like you could have had an enforcement action months ago on this, years ago at this point, and you come in at the last moment when the Gemini Earn program has actually been offline for two months, that's when you're going to do enforcement action. It seems like an odd escalation. Zach, I'm going to throw it back up to you, but definitely want to get Adam's take on the story. Yeah, all credit to Hasib from Dragonfly, a venture capital investor in the space, who tweeted that the comedic timing here by the SEC is just mm, chef's kiss, perfect. And I think that to me is the thing that is probably the funniest thing. Okay, Gemini Genesis from the headlines, and now SEC acts on an entirely different matter after... the. <laughs> After withdrawals have been frozen for more than two months, it's pretty crazy to see it come down at this point in time, maybe simply because they were in the headlines for other stuff, but who knows. Adam, tossing it to you. Yeah, I think the old saw is applicable here, which is, you know, this is the SEC closing the barn door after the horses, you know, are long gone at this point. To the extent that they were going to do something, there were plenty of opportunities to. Gemini is claiming that they've been in talks, essentially, with the SEC for the last 17 months. And so again, like the choice to make this now does seem, as uh, Tyler Winklevoss says, that it's optimizing for political points. That feels like that's a very correct read to me. And I think it's one of the broad frustrations that many of us who have been in the crypto industry for a long time have had, which is that it's not like companies, especially those based out of the US, want to do things in a way that's kind of gray zone, shady, whatever. It's that the rules that are applied to these types of things don't fit. Zach, you opened this piece talking about how this is different than, you know, giving your money to a bank and then the bank paying you interest. I don't actually think it is. Like legally, it may be different, but in practice, it's the same thing that's happening. The only thing that's different here is that the US, uh, you know, the federal government doesn't have an FDIC equivalent that covers these types of things for crypto product uh, where they do for the banking system. But that's really the only difference. You're giving your money to somebody who's going to make money for themselves by lending it to somebody else or using it in some way. And then they're going to pay you some of the money that they earn off of it. That is exactly what banks are supposed to do. Except, of course, in the modern era, banks don't pay any interest at all, but they still do that with your money. (laughs) It's just another example of like, when people looked at Gary Gensler coming into this, they said, oh, this is a regulator who knows how to do this right because he understands the space. He has a history of teaching about this and he has a nuanced understanding. And I was very skeptical. And I think my skepticism has been proven out. 
his knowledge of the space just means he knows exactly the place to stick the knife. <laughs> and I think we continue to see that. They're doing everything they can to help themselves and really to hurt everybody else who's involved. Jen, you've got the last word on this one. Doesn't anyone else feel like we have deja vu here? Didn't this happen with Coinbase? They were working with the SEC. They were going to launch their EARN program. And then the SEC, who they were working with, who they were talking to the entire time, came around and either sued or threatened to sue them on that EARN program. And then they had to roll it back. You would think that when that happened, the SEC would start looking around for other similar programs and say, actually, you know what? We're going to apply what we learned and what we were trying to enforce in Coinbase in all of these other programs. And they didn't do that. So I agree with everyone on this panel that this is completely opportunistic for the SEC. Secondly, is Gary Gensler trying to be an influencer? I think I saw him use the hashtag glow up yesterday, which was crazy for me. And these videos are also a little bit cringe. I would love them to take the money that they are spending on this like educational content, which includes Gary Gensler's salary and participating in this content and put it towards creating frameworks that the industry can work within so that we don't need these cringeworthy explanations as to why you are out here enforcing and trying to create precedent by enforcement. We can just operate within the framework you set because that is your job. And that is my take on that story. I saw someone's hand go up, but I don't know whose. Just, I want to bring up Jen's point one more time. I think it's, it bears worth repeating. Coinbase started building a product like this as well, and the SEC shut it down. But Coinbase's product was actually built on DeFi protocols. So you had sustainable yield through a transparent portal with Compound. Here we have Gemini uh, and Genesis lending this out to Three Arrows Capital, which was just DGen traders out in Singapore throwing money at the wall. And that blew up. It's funny to see the different enforcement actions here. But Adam, I'll throw it up to you as we go to the next story. Yeah, so next up, a Delaware bankruptcy court has authorized new FTX CEO John Ray III, which I just love saying, to accept offers for the bankrupt firm's European and Japanese units, along with its derivative arm Ledger X and stock clearing platform, which is called Embed. These companies are essentially regulated entities in other jurisdictions and are reportedly individually solvent, even though they were included in the broader FTX bankruptcy. The hope here uh, is reportedly that by selling them sooner than later, they can fill the hole that was left by the former management's alleged criminal activities. And speaking of the former management, Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers recently convinced a judge overseeing his case to shield the identities of the two reportedly wealthy individuals who have pledged nearly a quarter of a billion dollars to secure his release to house arrest as he awaits a planned October trial. That's just one of a number of somewhat unusual concessions that the defendants have managed to achieve uh, or extract from the Southern District of New York, which is pretty notoriously tough. A number of media outlets, including Coindesk, have asked the judge to reconsider the public's interest in knowing who is still backing Bankman-Fried after everything that's happened, while the defense has cited safety concerns as the reason to keep them private. Somehow it feels like despite the October trial date, which feels like it's a long way away, FTX and Bankman-Fried feel like they're likely to remain in the news for some time to come. Jen, I'll kick this one over to you first. What do you think's going on here? Okay, well, first of all, I 100% agree that the public needs to know who these other two backers of Sam Bankman-Fried were. You know, we talk so much in this industry about doing your own research and making informed decisions. And I don't think that the public can make informed decisions if we don't know who these people are. If they are people who operate in leadership in the crypto industry or the traditional finance industry, I think it's so important to know that they stand behind Sam Bankman-Fried in this case, given what he is accused of. And that is my take. I think this is so important. And if the courts don't reveal the two names of these people, I think is just setting a really horrible precedent. Will, what do you think? 
Oh, legal opinion right there from our expert on the hash. I love it. Uh, I don't really know where I stand with this. The last time we brought it up, I was sort of in the in the murky middle as well, because I do think that there is the possibility of violent threats going against this person or even like physical threats going against the people who sign on this line. And just because they signed on the line doesn't mean they actually committed fraud along with SBF, right? They're just saying that they're willing to bail them out for whatever reason that is. You know, they might have own personal reasons to put this money on the line. Uh, and either way, you know, he's going to be locked up in his parents' house writing on his Substack. So like, to me, no harm, no foul. On the other side of it, yes, journalistic integrity, you want to find out who these people are, what their obligations are, or what their relationship is to SBF in the FTX circle. And I think the biggest concern here for a lot of people is who ponied up this money and how did they get that money in the first place? Are they using customer funds in order to uh, get SBF out on bail right now? So that's the questions for me. I'm still like sitting cleanly on the fence for this one. Zach, up to you. It's Bill Ackman. It's got to be Bill Ackman, hedge fund billionaire. Bill <laughs> it Ackman might be Bill Ackman. Here standing for SBF to this day on Twitter.com. I think it's Bill Ackman. I'm, I'm just rampant speculation, putting my bet Bill Ackman is one of the people. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. I Kevin mean, O'Leary. I, Kevin O'Leary. No, he's, yeah. he's mad. He's burned. He's, he's, he's too salty. He's still too salty. I want to go back to the previous, you know, the story that we mentioned about the aspects of the FTX business that are still desirable. And I think this is indeed like a good regulation story, right? These are regulated entities that play by the rules. They got the licenses that mattered in pretty restrictive jurisdictions. And of course, those business units retain value while everything else is crap, offshore crap that was doing risky stuff that that failed miserably. So I think at some level, like regulated crypto champions, those who are like, hey, we got to play by the rules. We got to make this work. Like this is a story that they can be stoked about because LedgerX, FTX Japan, stuff like that, they met high licensing standards to get those businesses off the ground. Those are the ones that weather the storm and are now going to be bought and potentially you know, continue to operate in, uh, in good stead. So that to me is also like something that's worth stating, I think, as it relates to the things that are being sold off now to fill other holes. But hey, I'll toss it to Jen. What do you think? Yeah, I'm coming back. So someone in the YouTube comments said, why should we know who, who these two people are? And then they said, so you guys can threaten them. I think the important part here is so that people can make their own opinions and thoughts about the ethics of others so that we can participate in financial products with the most knowledge possible. And that is my response to this person in the YouTube comments. Adam, we'll give you the last word. Yeah, so uh, just with regards to that, I think that the other part of it is the precedent. Uh, Southern District of New York has a lot of very, very high profile crimes that go through. It is atypical for this type of thing to not be made public. I'm not an expert in this, but I've read about it pretty decently as a result of this. And this is, this is abnormal. This is not how things normally happen. So there have been a number of things like that that have happened. And again, it's worth noting that the whole purpose of this, of, you know, his bail being so high is supposedly because it puts him essentially, uh, you know, it, it, he has some skin in the game in order to make sure that he doesn't run. How do we know that the people who are backing him, he actually cares about, right? Like maybe it doesn't matter at all. There's just a bunch of different things that go down. But most importantly, it's about, hey, if the rules say that this is the way that it's supposed to go, then the rules should be applied equally to everybody, really irrespective of who it is. And it just doesn't feel like that's happening with SBF so far. So, you know, uh, the, the only other point I wanted to make was with regards to what Zach was saying about like the units that are being sold or that can be sold being solvent. Again, it goes back to the Gary Gensler thing, which is that to the extent that you can set up these frameworks in advance, that you can have compliance that works in advance, then you can avoid these types of bad outcomes. The SEC is nominally supposed to protect investors. You can't protect investors 
if you wait to do the protecting and you wait to provide clarity and rules that people can follow in this country until after disaster has already happened and it doesn't matter anymore. So it's just a continued point of frustration for me, but that's about all here. <laughs> yeah, disclosures uh, always in the public interest. I know nothing about Bill Ackman. Bill, I love you if you're seeing this. Uh, just <laughs> He's on our YouTube me, comments right now. Let me shoot my shot <laughs> on the speculation department sometimes, people. All right, anyway. All right, we are going off to Crypto.com, who's cutting 20% of its workforce as they brace for crypto winter. The firm, like many who have announced layoffs up until now, cite economic headwinds from the downturn in crypto markets and the FTX implosion as the reasons. Co-founder and CEO Chris Marzalek said they grew ambitiously at the start of 2022 to align with the trajectory of the industry, but the trajectory has changed. Outside of this news, Coinbase recently announced that they are also laying off 20% of their workforce. I believe they announced that earlier this week. This is my take on the story. I hope that these exchanges who are laying off people at almost the, like, I think it's almost a thousand people that are going to be laid off at both firms. I hope that they are taking their customer experience and their customer service seriously, because right now is not a time to be bringing new customers in, but the customers that you have, you want to ensure that they are happy with your services. Because if you lose a bunch of customers in the bear market, it's not going to be good. And the reason I say that is because I recently opened a crypto.com account. I was like, I'm in Canada. I don't really have any way to spend crypto. Let me try this crypto visa card thing. I got it. It doesn't work. Customer service has been all over the place and crazy. And now I hear that there are layoffs. I feel like my money is just going to be stuck there and I'm not going to be able to use it. Zach, I think I saw your hand go up. What do you make of these layoff stories? Oh, that was like when you're on a plane and you're delayed. That was like the tweet version of that, but like on air. It was like, at Delta, my plane is on the tarmac yeah, for that, four I, hours. I really That's took the opportunity Jen just to be did like, that. Wow. please fix this. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Jen, Jen really did that. That is amazing. Well, I just wanted to go zoom out a little bit to the broader picture, right? You know, we keep seeing these stories, I guess, sort of in isolation. And, you know, thankfully, some of the folks at Coindesk are keeping a running tally of how many people have been laid off since April. And it's over 28,000 at this point and will be updated and could potentially top 29,000 by the inferred number of people that this will affect. 29,000 people in the crypto industry is a lot of people in the crypto industry, many of whom were swept up in the excitement around Web3 during the last bull cycle and who said, hey, I'm leaving Web2 and I'm going to go work in Web3. And now a lot of these new, uh, new entrants are probably the first to go when faced with these job cuts and these layoffs. So that really is quite a staggering number, 29,000 people since April in an industry that I would imagine is not that large in terms of total workforce, right? And I think this is mostly about the CFI companies, mostly the exchanges, less so about sort of the layer ones and some of the other sort of more crypto native projects. But these exchanges, especially ramped up big time, potentially overhired to meet demand and are now being faced with some pretty drastic cutbacks because they overhired to, again, accommodate that influx of interest. And now when the interest wanes, you got to make these cutbacks or else you're not going to survive to make it to the next good times. So, you know, this is rough to see. We keep seeing this. There's going to be more. Um, but again, that big number in total context since April being over 28,000 at this point is pretty crazy. Uh, Will, I'm going to toss it to you. Yeah, 28,000 number is pretty remarkable. I mean, think about the number of people who are involved in crypto on a daily basis, like crypto natives, as a lot of people like to say, or the number of people who log into crypto Twitter daily. That's probably a, a fair sum of it, or maybe even more. But let's look at like crypto.com's history here. I think the biggest thing to me is their purchase of the naming rights to the Los Angeles Lakers arena. And they moved it from the Staples Center to crypto.com. They paid $700 million for that back in December 2021. 
They also had that very infamous commercial with Matt Damon that would seemingly never go off air. And they spent a lot of money on marketing. And that makes me think, like, if you go into this, they mismanaged a lot of money. If you think about all this marketing spend, all these hires, they threw a lot of stuff at the wall. And it's funny to look at all these different crypto companies that thought we were going to have 100K Bitcoin, not just like 3AC bought into the super cycle theory, but so many crypto firms bought into this super cycle theory. And that's why they spent all this money. And that's why they're having to cut all these people. To me, the question is like, is crypto so big now and all these layoffs so big now that's really going to be detrimental for the industry over the next few years? Typically, we see like this cycle, right, where crypto prices are depressed for about two, three years, and then we have another bull run. Well, does that change because crypto reached a point of mass adoption this last cycle where most people knew about it? Most people held Bitcoin or were interested in Bitcoin, but so many people were laid off from it or like pissed off by the sector that we have a delayed schedule for like the next bull run. That's what I kind of think about when I see these headlines. Let's talk about a different subject, more distressed stuff. We're going to talk about some miners, some distressed miners, as I like to say. BlockFi and BitFarms are having some troubles. BitFarms is a Canadian mining firm. Uh, it's a pretty good miner with about, I think, six exahash online, which put in perspective is like less than 1% of the Bitcoin mining network, but a pretty sizable chunk of the mining network if you think about like how many different participants are involved in mining. They took out loans from BlockFi last year, about $30 million, an 18% interest rate. And now that BlockFi is going through Chapter 11, they're thinking, hmm, maybe we don't need to pay that off. The collateral backing this loan, loan's about $20 million at this point, is only $5 million. So BitFarms is looking at this and thinking, maybe we just default on it because you guys are in Chapter 11 anyways, and the collateral behind this is basically worthless. The collateral for a lot of these loans for miners is actually the miners themselves, the ASICs. And ASICs basically trade with Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin went down 70%, an ASIC probably went down about 70% as well. So that's why you see the collateral value kind of plummet so much. I think this gives you some insights into BlockFi. BlockFi was running a trading and lending desk for miners or a mining finance desk. And they were using that to pump funds into other portions of their for their retail clients, right? They take interest from miners and move it over to anyone who is putting Bitcoin onto their exchange and giving them that sweet, sweet yield. And if you look at this whole process and project with BitFarms and BlockFi, you get an inner workings about how BlockFi was structuring their business and why it eventually failed. I'm going to throw it up to you, Adam. Yeah, I'll just draw this back to bigger picture macro environment. I think, again, what we've seen over the course of the last couple of years is the latest iteration of a really substantial boom and bust cycle that isn't really about any particular industry, but really is more about the macroeconomic environment, right? The rules of the road, the world that we all kind of have to live in, build businesses in, find jobs in, lose jobs in, <laughs> try to live as you know normal adults who can be self-sufficient. And I think that, again, that's really what we're seeing here. We're see, we saw valuations and sort of the cost to do things you know, significantly elevate far beyond what was a real true value because monetary policy, specifically the overproduction of money and then uh, too much spending of it by government entities really kind of drove that and made it so that that was the reality that we had to live with. And now we're watching as all of the sort of crutches and stops and all of the things that were propping up unsustainable growth have over the course of the last year been pulled out. And now we're seeing markets across really all risk categories continue to do this. So it's not surprising. But again, the thing to keep in mind is that this isn't a real environment. This is an environment that is being so ridiculously manipulated that it's kind of hard to even know what to do because it's not based on reality. It's based on these rules and these decisions that can really change at any time. 
and that largely are not being made kind of to our benefit. So I'll, I'll leave it at that and uh, toss it over to you, uh, Zach. Just continues a trend of the public markets being really unkind to all the mining firms that went public during the last stretch there, right? This is a publicly traded firm, I believe. They're warning of default. And I'm sure that their stock price has been hammered over these last months as Bitcoin has tanked precipitously. I think in retrospect, some of the decisions to go public from some of these companies as they sought capital in the public markets, I think some of those companies are probably regretful of that. But I don't know. I'm not an expert on that front. But it seems as though they've been significantly punished by being wedded to the price of coins as that's being reflected in the price of their stock. And they are... uh, (laughs) you know, left uh, teetering on the brink of default. So I think, um, you know, that to me is sort of the trend here that follows is that a lot of these miners that went public really felt a lot of pain upon entering the public markets. The good thing with mining companies right now is that it's so bad that they can kind of do whatever they want. Like things are so bad that your stock can't really go down anymore. So they have time to restructure. Jen, I'm going to throw it over to you. You got to wrap it up. So I'm going to I'm gonna bounce pass it. it back to Zach. Oh, never mind. We'll wrap. Let's do it. Let's wrap it. I want to talk about Davos again. Davos is on. Annual meeting. Davos, Switzerland. Coindesk TV there. Next week, I'm going to be watching it. I know Nick Day is over there checking things out. He's really good at regulatory coverage and whatnot, so he's going to kill it on the Davos front. That's all I got. I'm going to be tuning in on that, and I hope that you tune in on that and on the hash next week, because we'll be back for more stories and stuff. I'm Zach, Will, Jen, Adam. We're the hash. We're glad you're here. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.